Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're talking to Neha Waters. She's the Executive Director for Fintech and Fintech Partnerships and Innovation at JP Morgan in New York. So we're going to find out more about how JP Morgan thinks about partnering with fintechs or investing in them or acquiring them. So I'm very curious to know what sort of uh, topics or the themes or subsectors and verticals of fintech JP Morgan finds interesting for further investment and uh, which which are complementary to their strategy. So this is all that Neha will will hopefully tell us. So how are you today, Neha? Rudy, I'm very excited to be here, um, really for two reasons. You know, first, I could talk fintech all day, as I'm sure uh, you enjoy as well. But secondly, we have a Swiss connection. I am a psychology nerd outside of work, and the famous Swiss psychologist Carl Jung has had a huge impact on me. But yeah, very excited to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, you would never know. So as I always say, the fintech to me is everything but life sciences. So that could also mean the psychology or frankly, there is a, there is an episode in the works which talks about neuroscience. Everything that you said, I think makes sense to me. And I know the Carl Jung Institute. It's not too far from me. It's also a museum, I think. It's, it's on my list of places to visit. Coming back to JP Morgan and fintechs, uh, I started with saying that you're executive director of innovation and fintech partnerships. So what is your team's mandate and what division are we talking about? And then let's talk about whether you're looking at it from a strategic perspective or sometimes the banks also take a financial gains perspective only. Absolutely. So Rudy, we at JP Morgan, we have a tremendous respect for the hero's journey that is entrepreneurship. And um, we think that collaborating with the fintech ecosystem is crucial to the future of our business. It creates optionality for us, which we think is key. We take a portfolio approach. So all in all, we strive to be the partner of choice for fintech founders globally. And um, we think that we can help fintechs in three very concrete ways. So there's scale, there's global access, and of course, there's investment dollars. So I can go into each of these separately. Um, but, but basically, you know, starting with scale, right? So if you are a fintech founder, you've probably worked really hard in finding that elusive product market fit. You have some traction, um, but again, that's the product is nothing if it doesn't have the distribution. And that's where we can come in. So JP Morgan, I represent the wholesale payments business, which is a huge franchise. We have 4 million merchants on our platform. We have 20,000 corporate and commercial clients and nearly 50% of US households bank with Chase. 
So that's a huge customer base right there that we can offer um, exciting fintech. Now, um, talking about global access, as JP Morgan is a very global company. Uh, we operate in some of the most strategic payment corridors throughout the world. And so if you are a U.S. company looking to tap into international markets, we're there. If you're an international company that's trying to break into the U.S., we can help us. We have the network, we have the, the consumer and the merchant insights, and we have the will. That's your global access. And then last but not the least, it's the investment dollars. Now, certainly, if you are a fintech uh, and if money is your biggest constraint, that is certainly something that JP Morgan wants to help with. Um, and it's not just dumb money, right? We... Um, we get involved. We want to learn more about your roadmap. We want to play a part in helping you shape that roadmap so that you can successfully distribute to our network of merchants um, and consumers. Um, you had asked earlier about are we a strategic investor or a financial investor, and it's very much um, a strategic focus. We have a mandate to partner with, invest in, or acquire fintechs that have strategic fit with our business. Now, strategic fit could mean anything, right? It could mean filling a product or a capability gap. It could mean finding a whole new revenue segment, or, or it could be on the other end of the spectrum where um, JP Morgan wants to enter a, a new frontier, a white space area, and that could mean strategic fit as well. All right, so understood. Let's take a step back, though, still, and maybe take a little bit of uh, an academic approach to this, because um, big firms like J.P. Morgan and and others and your your competitors, they take a variety of approaches when they deal with startups. So let's explain your angle or your team's angle versus maybe just the partnerships or just the innovation outsourcing, for example. Do you do all of this across the firm or what is the focus here? What's the logic versus just partnering up, just doing the POCs and things like this versus investing, etc. Somebody once asked me also, like, why should we invest in a vendor? What is the point? I'm going to approach this a couple of different ways. So the first thing about our group is that we talked about strategic fit. Uh, we take a very thematic approach to our investments and our partnerships, meaning we take... Um, like a five to 10 year view on the future of commerce and how that's changing the future of payments and fintech. Right? The last year um, has basically accelerated the digital economy by seven to 10 years, and this is McKinsey. And so the way we work, the way we play, the way we shop, and the way we learn has fundamentally changed. And fintech is at the foundation of all of these interactions, right? So much of this has moved from the real world to the virtual world. And so taking this kind of a thematic approach allows us to really see around corners and discern the signal from the noise and innovate on behalf of our clients. All right. You talked about how you think about working with startups, and that is to think about the potential themes that are relevant to your business. So what are the hottest sectors or hottest areas of fintech that you that you see where you also want to be playing? Rudy, payments is such a huge value pool 
right? So last year, the global payment transaction volume was $240 trillion. Um, but we at JP Morgan, you know, we prioritized value pools that are the fastest growing, where we think financial services incumbents have the lowest penetration. Now, um, there's, there's a lot of themes, and I won't go into all of them, but two of the ones um, that I think are the most exciting are the rise of super apps and the creator economy. And let me explain. So starting with the super apps, um, I think this is a really fascinating trend that started in China with the rise of Alipay and WeChat, but is replicating and might I say mutating globally. Um, and, and I really get it from a customer's perspective. Rudy, did you know that there are 2 million apps that you can download from the Apple App Store today? And I don't know if it would fit them on my iPhone, but fine, I'll try. But, but the average adult has 80 apps downloaded today, but they only use about nine on a daily basis. And I am actually on the much lower end of it. I pretty much use only like three or four. Um, so customers want a one-stop shop. They want something like an operating system for them. This, this uh, app fatigue is pretty real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where super apps come in. The super apps come into the rescue. But to level set, I just want to define what a super app is, because one thing I'm seeing is that a lot of fintechs like to call themselves super apps. And I think it's something that it's a term that helps them with valuations and makes them sound pretty exciting. Um, but really, a super app, the way we look at it is it's a destination platform for consumers and merchants that offers a broad set of services. Now, these could be lifestyle-related or finance-related, um, but they operate and they're all tied together or glued together through an experience that is contextual, relevant, and delightful. Um, what's really important is that, look, it's not a super app if you're simply aggregating a bunch of services together. right? It has to be more than that. that the super app needs to have what I like to call superpowers where it can really leverage a really a core asset um, and use it across all of these services to create new efficiencies. So like what does what gives Alipay its superpowers? Um, I would argue that it's the fact that they can leverage customer data across all of the different mini programs and then surface content and recommendations. Um, so that's the trend. We think that from a merchant perspective, this is very exciting as well because the merchant gets this aggregated demand at a very low customer acquisition cost. And um, and we think that, you know, while this started in China, uh, like I said, it, it's, it's replicating and mutating throughout the world. Um, every region has its own flavor of it. So what works in one region isn't going to work in another region. Like uh, take the example of the Indian customer, right? Indian customers, uh, if I might say so myself, are very value-driven. So we care about things that are cheap. Um, and that's where Reliance um, has been able to create this, this real you know, super app experience with the Geo platform. In Indonesia, their super app Gojek is a matter of national pride. In Africa, it's about inclusion. Um, so the big question is for us is that, will there be a, a mutation that arises from the Western world? And what might that look like? Um, and from a J.P. Morgan perspective, um, 
we want to be your money app. And we think we have unfair advantages here that are really, frankly, not fungible. We have trust, we have customer base, we have a a muscle for building partnerships. So all of these are um, the right ingredients for moving towards this platform of platform models. Um, and, and we think there's tremendous opportunity in this. Then you said before that you what you bring to the table, among other things, is the distribution, right? So when you look at the startups, what kind of startups are you, you know, considering worth uh, starting a conversation in terms of a life cycle? Um, so super app to me also sometimes means that it, it has a huge following already, right? So for you to spend time or invest in in a super app or other potential uh, partners from fintechs where do they have to be is it something like x million consumers or something in terms of funding rounds that you're looking at or in terms of size and and their maturity yeah no that's a great question so we're not looking uh, for fintech to already have figured out distribution. But what we are, because that's what we can bring to the table, but what we are right. looking for is that product market fit. So we Really, as you think about the super app playbook, it always starts with a very sticky um, product. And, and that's what we're looking for, something that drives um, high customer engagement, because then you can build from that. Once you have that stickiness, you can leverage it to then move into um, subsequent or adjacent verticals. So when we're evaluating fintechs, we're not we're not looking for a super app, but we're looking for a company that has um, some of those um, building blocks. So like I mentioned, product market fit. I mentioned um, well, I haven't mentioned this yet, but. But really, a strong founding team is important. Now, strong meaning very coachable, meaning they have the right experience and skill set for the particular idea. They have a clear roadmap that is both rooted in reality, but also has those exponential aspirations. Um, And and ideally, um, a use case that has been proven um, with with some customers, so I think those are are the building blocks. Now it doesn't really matter what stage they're in. Used to be that we were um, very focused on on sort of growth stage companies, but that has changed a lot. Our appetite has expanded significantly, and we are looking to connect with fintechs that are um, probably even a bit earlier stage. So series A or even seed if the idea is compelling and solid. All right, understood. So a bit earlier stage now, they have to show the product market fit, maybe a round or or earlier potentially. But of course, you're a big bank and you're looking at the things internationally. So can you also give us a bit of a hint what it means in terms of numbers? So some people would say, well, we don't do anything where we where the check is less than 10 million, for example. So is this also one of the things you're looking at or 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 not? We have no such constraints. It's very much um, on a case-by-case basis. I would mm-hmm. say that if you're a fintech that has um, the ingredients that I just talked about, at the very least, have a conversation with us. Now, we might engage with you in different ways and at different points 
in your evolution. So if if having talked to a particular fintech, we realize that they're maybe a little too early, we'll keep you on our radar and um, engage you um, as we build our platform for ecosystem engagement, right? Like having those conversations um, about those ideas early enough is crucial to our strategy. And that's how we develop our themes is through those conversations. Um, if, if we think that it's, um, it's a little bit early, um, but not too early, we might consider a joint marketing agreement. Um, we might um, move like a spectrum where the next level of engagement might be, okay, well, mm-hmm. revenue share. Um, and then it goes all the way to just a full commercial partnership um, where you know, we're negotiating terms around licensing and service and exclusivity. So it could be that full, there's a menu to choose from. There's multiple options that we are willing to, to try. Um, and then often, uh, along with a partnership, we also um, invest. And then those investments can take different flavors as well. It could be something as lightweight as a warrant, which is right the right to purchase equity mm. um, at a future date, depending on agreed upon thresholds. It could be straight up equity or um, it could be a full acquisition. So and at the moment, I would say the appetite is broad enough where Pretty much everything is on the table. Great. And how does your sourcing and onboarding work? So I'm actually interested in both. So sourcing in terms of do you do proactive outreach? How do you then do it across the different regions or or not? You are over inundated by the requests as well. (laughs) Yeah. So look, being JP Morgan, we do see... Um, a lot of deal, a lot of high quality deal flow, I would say. However, um, what we want to do is to actually build a real platform where we are having some of the earlier stage conversations with fintechs that may not have been proven. Um, we were talking earlier about this, the seed stage um, or the Series A fintechs. It's not just about talking to fintechs. We also want to collaborate more formally with the investor community. We already do this today, um, but I think just adding more structure to it. So we welcome discussions with other strategic investors or VCs in the space who, um, where we might think are thematic approaches and really just share deal flow. You know, a VC might be looking to exit their position in a certain company, uh, or they might be looking to help uh, a particular fintech grow through a banking partnership. Uh, we welcome all those opportunities and uh, all of those conversations. All right, understood. Of course, when you invest, that's a different story. You do due diligence and things like this, but you also mentioned you do marketing agreements or revenue share, things like this, or maybe you, you work with the startup as a vendor, uh, right? I would mm-hmm. assume to develop something, do a POC. So how easy or difficult is your onboarding? Some of the firms, they specifically streamlined it because their onboarding process through vendor procurement didn't really suit the startups. Some actually like it when they can use some intermediary. They could be a provider of banking platform or it could be an IT consulting firm and they do the the sorting out, those sort of stuff, those sort of things. And um, then the diligence is lighter and easier for the startup. So yeah. uh, do you have something like this or how do you think about the 
onboarding when the the startup is your vendor, for example? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Rudy, the last thing that we want is to drown a very innovative um, fintech team in some Kafkaesque bureaucratic nightmare. Um, we were one of the earliest banks to streamline um, this fintech onboarding process um, back in the day. I want to say 2015-2016, we created a program called In Residence. It is now, uh, it has now just evolved and it's it's called other things now. But but really, the idea there was to um, we created this dream team of innovation champions within legal risk. Um, controls, um, and, and compliance functions. These were individuals who understood our goals with innovation, uh, who really helped us manage this um, sort of, uh, th- this pair of opposites, right? On the one hand, we are at our very core, a risk management company, right, JP Morgan. But then on the other hand, innovation is one of Jamie Dimon's top agenda items. So how do we uh, how do we innovate and manage our risk appropriately at the same time? So that's where the, the in-residence program, we were able to um, make onboarding as frictionless as possible, bring down those sort of vendor onboarding um, timelines from six to eight months down to two to three months um, or even shorter and um, it has worked really well. It's now a very repeatable process, and it applies to whether we're partnering with a fintech. It applies to early stages of due diligence as well. Um, and, and so we really don't feel the need to engage other consultants or third parties. This is a priority uh, for, for our business. We've, we think that... Um, Ecosystem play is is really important, and so we decided to build this muscle ourselves in house rather than relying on other parties. Good to hear. So thank you. Now let's come. You know, let's come back to the investing though, because of course you said that you are a strategic investor. Now you're investing in early stage companies. So. Does that mean that you take a minority stake or or majority stake, even when they are early stage? That's um, always a, a question, right? Now, I'm I'm just curious to find out how how it works for you. Um, so again, there's no set playbook. We have invested in companies as the lead investor. We have also been the follow-on investor. I can give you an example. So uh, we invested in a company called Trovata. And this is all publicly um, available. Now, Trovada is, the way I would describe it is, it's like the mint.com, uh, but for businesses, right? It's it's really an API-based company. And, and as APIs have basically transformed how banks and clients collaborate and innovate across wholesale banking, our clients were looking for a better way to visualize and analyze their cash flows Um not just with Chase, but but with all of their banking partnerships. And and so that's where Travada's business um, model came in. And uh, we led the investment round there. Um, The head of our group became a board member with Travada. 
And, and then we also um, had a follow-on round with them. And, and I want to say that you know, this has really been a success story because um, the solution has been rolled out to, to several of our corporate clients. And I, I don't want us to take the, the full credit for it, but since our initial investment, Trilada has nearly doubled its customers and its um, annual revenue quarter over quarter. And, and, we, and it's not surprising. The company fills a major void in the market. It automates cash-centric workflows, um, and this is something that simply didn't really exist for uh, medium to large corporate and financial treasury teams. And this is an example of where we were able to recognize this company at an early enough stage and then give it the distribution um, and also give it um, the guidance that it needed to evolve. All right. Understood. I mean... Let's just then see, like, all right, you onboarded the startup or fintech or you invested in it, and um, you have some success stories, of course. But in general, how, how what, what is it? What does it mean to work with JP Morgan after that? What is the monitoring, for example, of your collaboration, whether that's a partnership or it's an investment? I guess on the investment side, obviously, you need to check the what's what are the, your stakes worth and things like this so that's obvious you have governance you probably have board seats of course and things like that on the partnership side though some people say look we are working with startups it, it, things happen or they don't um so you cannot really em- imply your uh, kpi mindset here but the other people say well of course not but we do have milestones so we are helping them with distribution and we give them a year we give them the people we give them the time and uh, if things work, great. But if they don't, and they repeatedly don't work, then we offboard them as well. So uh, what's your approach in terms of milestones slash KPIs, how light or heavy it is to, to work with JP Morgan? <laughs> Look, uh, the thing is that um, the only reason why we partner um, is because there is a strategic reason. Um, if innovation doesn't create real value for the business, there's really no point. And this was very clear in the early days of the evolution of our group. I actually led a partnership with a conversational AI company called Casisto. And this is an example where, you know, that monitoring will come into play. We did, we onboarded the FinTech in record time. We created POC. We tested it with clients and the feedback was so overwhelmingly positive that we decided to scale it. And then with the events of last year, um, it became imperative that we wanted to actually roll it out globally with our entire client base. So when you're doing something like this, um, you really are commercializing a partnership. And um, the only reason why we had the confidence to go from four clients to 40 clients to 20,000 clients in record time was because our metrics were um, just looking promising. So we have, um, again, not to sound bureaucratic, but we do have steering committee meetings on a monthly basis where we look at the data. We were looking at adoption data. We were looking at um, adoption, not just you know overall, but we were looking at like different cohorts of our customers. So say, um, based on the type of user it was, we were looking at their retention, we were looking at who was 
leaving the platform. So this is, you know, we've got into that real product development territory. And um, that focus on metrics uh, was really critical to our confidence that, hey, if tomorrow I switched on this product for 20,000 corporate clients, that it would work and it wouldn't be um, embarrassing if something wouldn't break. And it didn't, right? So we do, from a product perspective, we track uh, metrics and KPIs. From an investment perspective, um, I, I think you mentioned this earlier, we take board seats. Um, we certainly uh, provide a lot of input on um, the roadmap based on where we're seeing the demand from our clients and thematically where, how we're seeing the future evolving. And just so you know, like we are committed throughout the journey of the fintech. Um, and um, I don't have a ton of examples, uh, actually, of where things didn't work out. And when they didn't, there really was, I would say, a um, fundamental lack of either cultural fit or lack of um, you know, product market fit. All right. So... If you had one advice for fintech founders who are trying to work with you, what would that be? What's what's the most important thing they should focus on so that these sort of collaborations or investments from you could work? Um, I already mentioned cultural fit. So I, I think yeah. that is critically important. I would say we have passed on opportunities where the product was awesome but the founder or the leadership just didn't seem, um, I would say, emotionally stable or trustworthy. And that's really, really critical when you're working with a company of the scale of JP Morgan. Trust is our biggest currency with our clients. Um, and reputational risk um, is a huge, huge thing for us. So I would say... Um, prioritize cultural fit. And I, and I might just add one more, and it's a very dry thing. We say just get all your compliance stuff in order because um, not only will it help you as you work with banks, but it will also help you as you try to become a bank in the future. Right? So the whole point of being a startup is so you could scale um, and having that sort of systems mindset um, is, is going to be critical. So I, I would leave you with, with those two pieces of advice. It sounds great, Niha. I think that you explained a lot about how JP Morgan thinks about working with startups, investing in them. So what is the best way to reach out? What's the process? Where? What are the best channels as well to find out more, to keep an eye on the opportunities of uh, working with you? Absolutely. So I would say that feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or anyone on my team. You can also just email me directly at neha.waters at jpmchase.com. I, I do want to highlight a couple things. One is that we are hiring for several roles globally. And um, uh, without going into detailed job descriptions, I just want to say we are looking for individuals with true intellectual curiosity about the world of commerce, how that impacts fintech, right? So really the ability to think from first principles and draw trends shaping the future. We're looking for people who are aspiring investors, um, have either done investing work in the future or are looking to do it. Um, 
individuals who are comfortable with uh, the uncertainty and ambiguity of early stage partnerships. And then at the same time, someone who can be a trusted advisor to internal stakeholders. So those are, apart from all the, the good technical skills, those are some of the soft skills and mindsets that we think will succeed uh, in a role like this. The second call out is that if you are a founder, we're always up for a conversation. And I promise you, if you work with my team, um, you will not be lost in a bureaucratic nightmare. We are, or we aim to be, user-friendly, and we are straight shooters, so you'll know where you stand in the process. And uh, lastly, if you're a VC or a strategic investor, we love to share ideas, and we would be honored uh, to collaborate on deal flow. Great stuff. Well, fantastic, and good luck to Neha and the JP Morgan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Rudy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.